Okay. My name is Travis Pastor. Yeah. One day. One day I'll get this to work. Okay. I promise you I am not messing up the intro music on purpose um, for laughs. It's really starting to get frustrating. Um, I think there may be a delay with when I push start on the music when it actually starts that time. It took like 14 seconds. I was watching the countdown. Um, so hopefully next time we'll get it right. I'll, I'll start it a little earlier, but Jesus, half the time I, don't, I think it's not even going to start. Anyway, welcome to the first edition of the Home Run the Jewels Fantasy Baseball Podcast, formerly known as the so-called Fantasy Experts Fantasy Baseball Podcast, which was a mouthful to say. Um, Did some chatting over the week, found out um, people sort of liked Home Run the Jewels, so we're going with it. It allows me to make a nice killer outro song. Um, if you aren't aware of where the name comes from, Run the Jewels is a rap duo. Uh, a few of my friends at work and I are big fans of. And Home Run the Jewels just sounds cool. So uh, we're going to give you jewels of information and you should just take those and run with them and, you know, hit a home run with it. That's that's basically where we're at. Um, so yes, do not get confused by the new label. Home Run the Jewels is now no. The so-called Fantasy Experts Fantasy Baseball Podcast is now the Home Run the Jewels podcast, which is our fantasy baseball podcast. Um, okay, so Dan Dominic, our good friend who uh, stiffed us last week out of some great, great uh, commentary, will be shortly calling in, uh, and we'll get some nice – we'll finally get to talk to Dan about what uh, we missed from him last week. Dan, you there? Yes, I am, Travis. I'm here. You've been you've kept the the, the listeners waiting. And every week <laughs> well, I can't up. as much as my ego would love to think that they've actually been waiting for me for a week. Um I I, I highly doubt that, that they uh have been waiting on bated breath for me. <laughs> well you know, I think they're probably just more a little waiting for somebody besides me to talk. Uh, <laughs> I gotta say, I listened back to my podcast last week. Um and it's a good one. It's just kind of weird hearing yourself talk like nonstop for X amount of time. Even I get tired of my own voice after a while. Mm-hmm. But uh, all right, Dan, I'm glad you made it. Uh, it's been a little while, so why don't you, you know, shout out your Twitter info and all that good stuff, and then we'll get into it. Will do. Uh, my name is Daniel Dominic. I am a uh, contributor, like Travis, to so-called fantasy experts. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at. Azuri1985, that's A-Z-Z-U-R-R-I-1985. Um, I am happy to happy to chat. I, uh, I'm constantly talking about fantasy baseball on Twitter, and usually I'm ranting about, more often than not, terrible lineup decisions I've made in fantasy baseball. So 
but but I'm always happy to talk. Uh, shoot me a text, and uh, and we'll go ahead and you know whatever questions you got, whatever I'm happy to uh, happy to answer. Uh, you can find me, Travis Pastor, at the Real Travioli. Uh, Dan and I constantly go back and forth about you know prospect pitchers and who uh, how we think they're going. We had like what a, a 25 tweet thread or something the other uh, other day with uh, I think Stefan about everybody's favorite Red Sox pitcher Eduardo Rodriguez. Yes, so, we did. Yes, we did. I'm 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 constantly, uh, or at least for a while there before the. Uh, before his decline, I was constantly talking with Stefan about Archie Bradley. He and I were both huge fans. Um, in fact, I mean, pretty, pretty, pretty much at the same time, we both tweeted uh, upon the news of Trevor Cahill getting traded to go pick up Archie Bradley. Then, <laughs> at that point, um, I still blame Stefan, by the way, about that because I blame him for jinxing uh, Archie with the uh, with the the uh, liner back to the face. Um, it's sad he's not just not been the same pitcher, but you know, <clears throat> unfortunately that's what happens with prospects. You ride them when they come up, you ride them as long as they're hot, and when they start to regress, you move on. Well, he did also get hit in the face by baseball. Oh, so, oh of course. I mean, that's first and foremost. Thankfully, he's uh, at least health-wise appears to be perfectly okay. I mean, um, who knows how much that's affected him mentally? I, I can't say I've actually gotten a chance to watch him pitch since that occurred, so I don't know if he's um, maybe a little tentative on the mound as a result, but, um, you know, I, I guess as a, not to sound too cold and callous, but in general, you know, that's unfortunately what happens with prospects is when they regress, you simply cut ties and move on to the next hot item. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, I remember having Stefan on, we were talking, he was talking about uh, Archie Bradley as a, like a sleeper by low guy. And then, like, two mm-hmm. days later, it's hit in the face, and now it's been all downhill from there. Um, yes, unfortunately. But, yes. Uh, so, to start this off, um, I just really need to vent fans. Uh, I have two different fantasy teams that have 10-plus players on the DL. And Ugh. that has to be some kind of record. I don't know <laughs> how I don't know how this happened. Um, I have... Six pitchers, four batters, uh, Adrian Beltre, Anthony Rendon, Justin Morneau, Michael Saunders are my batters. So you can, then you, I'm missing a big part of the lineup. And now I, mm-hmm. have, Encarna- I have Encarnacion, who has some mysterious leg injury. I'm, yes. I'm, one, I'm one injury away from just, like, toppling from middle tier to just last place. Um, <laughs> so uh, I wanted to sort of just, you know, pick your brain for mostly my – uh, advantage, but okay. know, everybody else's as well. Um, your team starting to say your team like mine getting riddled with injuries. Um, how long? I mean, obviously, I have an unlimited DL policy because there's mm-hmm. no way you should be able to keep ten people on a DL. But uh, sure. say say a guy like Justin Morneau because I think he's a good example. Rendon and Beltre, obviously top tier guys. Morneau, he's had history with uh, concussions, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Say you only had two DL spots. And you have Beltre and Rendon in those. Um, are you going to hold on to Morneau? Are you going to cut bait and try to pick up somebody new? Um, well, what's your opinion on holding, you know, multiple injured guys in active Sure, spots? sure. Well, there are a couple, I guess, a couple factors at play there. Um, you know, because we can kind of talk in a blanket sense, but, you know, every team and every league is going to have – 
have different different uh, consideration to, to to review. For example, if I have a team, I mean, let's let's talk about Morneau. Morneau is a first baseman, and first base is notoriously deep. Um, let's say we're talking a league of twelve teams or less. Um, Unless I absolutely need some help with batting average once more no returns, I'm not sure that I'd hang on to him. If if if, if it was between him and, say, a Rendon or a Beltre, or uh, here's an example. I if if I have somebody like um, Morneau versus. Um, well, I, this is a bad example because he's been so terrible so far this year. But Matt Latos, who I actually have rostered on uh, on my DL in one league, um, you know, Latos is going to be back in a couple uh, a week or two. His 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 FIP, his peripherals say he's significantly better than what his actual stats have been. You know, if I got to make a choice between the two of them, I'm, I'm probably cutting ties with Morneau because. You know, we really don't know how much longer he's going to be out. And like I said, he plays at such a notoriously deep position that unless unless I've got a team full of Chris Carters that desperately needs the batting average help, I'm not sure that, that I'm hanging on to Morneau in a league of 12 teams or less if I run out of DL spots. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair um, line to sort of put in the sand, the 12-team league, because – uh, obviously, there's going to be guys to pick up to fill in that spot. Uh, I think a lot of times it's sort of a mm-hmm. mental – it's it's more of a mental thing than a uh, stats-driven thing because I think people sort of look at it from the other side and say, oh, if I saw somebody drop Justin Morneau, I'd be like, oh, what the hell are they doing? That's kind of stupid. Mm-hmm. But from a numbers perspective, if you have Rendon coming back in a week or two, Beltre is only supposed to miss two weeks. Or he's not going to swing a bat for two weeks, but he should be back in a month, let's say, ballpark. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and and Morneau's injuries kind of – they said he'd be out one game, then he's out two games, then seven-day DL, 15-day DL. Exactly. Um, and from some very, very sad stuff that happened with Alex Cobb for me this season, I've sort of uh, learned that, you know, the uh, when news isn't – the only type of good news is actual good news. Like when – when you no news the, is not good news in fantasy yeah, baseball. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I can completely I can completely relate to your Alex Cobb because I was bitten by the same the same bug with Devin Mesoraco this year. Yeah. Um, actually, unbelievably unlucky. I traded in, in one league. I traded Cashner straight up for Mesoraco. The trade processed two days after the trade processed was the first game that Mesoraco sat out that Sunday night game. And then yeah. it was the next day that people realized he's out again. There's something wrong. And yeah. um, it took me – it probably took me the better part of two to three weeks maybe before I realized this is going to be an ongoing issue. If he's only going to play when he's DHing in AL parks, you know – Unless unless you're in a two catcher league, there's no point at that point. And I, I this particular league was a one catcher league. So at that point, I'd already picked up Stephen Vote off of free agency. So I finally made the difficult decision because it's admitting that you were wrong that that uh, something you did didn't work out. 
But I made the finally made the decision to cut ties, drop Mesoraco, and now, as we know, he's considering season-ending hip surgery. Well, I think I I know I've mentioned this on the podcast. I think it was to Joe uh, Joe Bond, but mm-hmm. I I was offered 100 pence for Alex Cobb straight up the night before Cobb needed. Everyone found out he needed Tommy John, and I was uh, like, let me let me sleep on it. I'll answer it tomorrow. Found out the next day Tommy John deal was pulled. I'm like, damn. So sometimes it can work the other way. But, um, yeah. Sure. Anthony Rendon is the guy I have on a lot of my teams, and it's a similar situation. Mm -hmm. He dives for a ball. They say, oh, his knee's a little swollen. He's out of two days. He'll be ready for the start of of the season. Then it's a week. Then he's on the DL. Then there's, you know, they're pushing it back. Uh, I don't know why teams just sort of try to mask it like, oh, Rendon's fine. He'll be back in three days. Or Mesoraco can play. You don't mm-hmm. need to worry, but mm-hmm. like it's clearly something bigger. I don't know what the advantage is to not just maybe teams can you know they won't they have to prepare for them, but I think it would just make things easier for everybody if they were just like, hey, Rendon's going to be out for like two months, or Mazzarocco's hip is really messed up. But mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. So, injuries are a tricky thing. Um, obviously, if you're in a dynasty league, like in my other one team. It's just a redraft. So that team's taking on water fast. My other team is mm-hmm. Dynasty mm-hmm. League. And most of the injuries I got are to are to young guys. Like I have uh, uh, Tanaka, you know, he's been hurt on and off. Mm-hmm. Even Wainwright, mm-hmm. he's not really that young, but I'm not going to worry about dropping him. Uh, Corey sure. Dickerson, guys like that. So I'm not worried too much about that. I've sort of just sort of punted the, uh, the football on that one and I've been picking up prospects. Somehow I got um, – Hunter Renfro off of the uh, the waiver wire, okay. which is a pretty nice, nice find. That was a nice. Yeah, absolutely. Call. I I I agree. I I love playing in some of those leagues that are um, that are those dynasty leagues, the bigger team leagues that you really uh, dig for those sort of prospective diamonds in the rough, or, or you know those those next Mike Trout's, so to speak. Uh, those yeah. those sort of add an intrigue to me at least that. Um, makes those specialized leagues, makes the bigger leagues uh, more rewarding, I guess, than sometimes playing in the smaller leagues or the yeah. standard redraft leagues. Yeah, it, def- it definitely does. Um, and you know what? Just- Which, by the way, I know we've talked ad nauseum before on other podcasts about our, our league size and, and setting preferences, but, you know, just to uh, wax a little bit about nostalgic, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It's nice. You know, playing in those two things. But you sort of have to, uh, you know, you commit for a couple of years. But I just figure I'll just hoard some prospects. Maybe I can trade them in at the trade deadline next year to get into contention. Mm-hmm. No harm, no foul. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's enough of my sob stories. Um, <laughs> it, I just needed to tell, like, it's 10 people in the deal on two different teams. Like, I can't believe this. Um, but anyway, I brought you here to talk about some hitting. Um, and power hitters, you know, obviously the uh, the guys everybody wants. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of power hitters stealing some bases. Um, Goldschmidt, obviously, he's a bit of a base stealer, but he's got eight. Uh, Anthony Rizzo has nine. Justin Upton, I think, has ten. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think is going on there? Uh, you think it's just a well, these guys are feeling good? You think, I know, Chris Bryant has five for the Cubs as well, so maybe – uh, Joe Madden just likes running, or uh, do you think these like power hitters are starting to get a little more athletic as we 
younger guys well, are coming up. I think the key thing about a lot of the guys that you named just now are that they're all still young guys. I mean, Rizzo is young. Goldschmidt is young. Upton, people he's been in the league for so long that people think that he's got to be this really, he's got to be way up there in years. He's still in his twenties. He's still in his mid twenties, his mid to late twenties. I mean, we're, we're talking about guys that are still in their sort of athletic prime. So, yeah. you know, it's, and, and we're not talking about guys who are built like say Prince Fielder. So, I mean, <laughs> all of these guys are built athletically. They've got some kind of track record of, either in the minors or in prior big league seasons, demonstrating mm. some speed. Um, I definitely think in Rizzo's case specifically, it's definitely a managerial issue. Um, Joe Madden has a record of <clears throat> of being a, a uh, sort of daring manager, a guy who's willing to play small ball, who's willing to um, to be aggressive on the base paths, et cetera. So I definitely think he's um, leading that, – that's part of what's driving Rizzo's speed of late um an interesting thing about goldschmidt i actually saw this i forget who tweeted this um today but goldschmidt i believe is on pace for a 330 average with 30 plus homers and 20 plus steals if i remember correctly or maybe it was even 40 20 he would be the first player in baseball history to achieve that if he pulls it off um so that's, that's kind of a really really cool statistic but but you know, back to the subject, I guess. I, I, I think that it's part of um, part of the specific players, but I still think that it's part of this um, this era that we are in, I guess, of, of it being a pitcher's era. It's a golden era for pitchers. It's an offensively depressed era. So as we as we see, um, you know, for example, on one side we see more and more teams using the shift from a defensive strategy to try to help suppress offense. And I think this is part of the offensive response is that, um, you know, power is down in general, so there needs to be a little bit more um, manufacturing of runs. And so I think we're seeing more aggressive managers and more aggressive players. So you think this – you'll think this will – obviously with Goldsman, I think it might continue um, since he's had a track record. But do you think Rizzo could steal 20 bases this year? He's already stole nine and like 200 at-bats. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think twenty twenty two is reasonable for a guy who, like, the most he ever stole in his career was six? Well, the thing that I think of with Rizzo, I think that he's got the potential to do that. The question is whether he's going to have the opportunities. Because, I mean, while Rizzo may be athletic and may be young and may have the ability to steal bases, it's probably not likely that we can expect him to steal third base all that often. So yeah. for him to, to for him to have steal opportunities is going to mean him getting walks and singles. And as as we know generally, Chicago Wrigley Field plays much better to power as the season goes on. Once we get to that summer, those dog days of summer, yeah. it becomes more of a power park. So I kind of anticipate that Rizzo is going to see more doubles, more extra base hits um, as the the weather warms up, and as he does so, he's going to be on first base less often. So I think he's going to have fewer steal opportunities. So I think that he may see a, a, a regression, excuse me, in steals, but I think the fantasy owners are, are aren't going to mind because I think it's likely going to lead to more extra base hits which probably means more RBIs and probably means more home runs. Yeah. 
Um, I tend to think he's not going to keep up this uh, stolen base rate he's at. Not for so much the reason you were thinking. Uh, my thought process is, uh, I know Soler, I think, just got hurt today and is going to DL. Yes, he just went on the DL today with a sprained ankle. But that lineup, if they bat, you know, Bryant third, uh, Rizzo fourth, and Soler fifth or something like that, or any any of that order, there's mm-hmm. probably more often than not going to be people on base or or if he's batting third and he's on first and Chris Bryant and Soler are following him, I don't think they're going to be so willing to say, all right, go take off. Uh, if sure, caught, sure. Oh, that's, that's, that's also a very good point, that um, they're not going to necessarily want to risk Rizzo taking the bat out of yeah. um, someone else's <clears throat> hand by risking trying to steal a base. Yeah, and while steals are nice and fun stats, if you if you got Chris Bryant up to bat, you might want to just you know leave the ducks on the pond. Agreed, uh, agreed. But I think it's been pretty interesting, especially um, with Justin Upton, because like you said, he's only I looked it up, he's only 27 right now. So exactly. That, that's still pretty athletic prime numbers. He's not, and you were right, he's been in the league probably since he was 21. Um, so it, it might feel like he's been. This is his one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ninth season. So he's been in the – Jesus, this is a ninth season? He must have come up when he was like 19. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. yeah. I mean, he's been around seemingly forever. He's already got over 1,000 career games, and he's 27. Um, you know, the thing is that, um, you know, in his in his particular case, I think it's really just a matter of um, – I think that's kind of a little bit more of a park factor, to be quite honest. I think that um, while he is still having a decent power season so far, I think it's also that that lineup has not necessarily been as good as people yeah. thought it would be. I mean, Matt Kemp has struggled hugely in terms of power. And so I think as a result, again, we're seeing a little bit of a um, manufacturing run kind of kind of theory. I mean, th- I mean, from the uh, stretch from 2009 to 2012, I mean, Upton averaged uh, about 19 steals a season. I mean, granted, he's way ahead of that pace so far. But this is a guy who does have multiple 20-steal seasons in his big league career. So, you know, he probably, to be quite frank, he probably surprises me the least of the names that you mentioned, simply because we've seen him do it multiple times before. Yeah, Um he also has yet to be caught stealing, which is uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sort of interesting. And I, I think that last year in Atlanta, where he had 100 RBIs um, and 30 home runs, sort of transitioned him in people's mind, at least in my mind. I thought of him more as, you know, the lumbering corner outfielder who's going to, you know, drive in 100 runs, hit you 25 home runs. But, um, like, when you watch him play, he's not a huge guy. He's still pretty slender. He's tall. He's got a mm-hmm. nice, he's got long strides. He can definitely still move. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I, think it's just, I think that I think that was more of it, just a, uh, the way Atlanta just built their lineup. I think that was just yeah. kind of a, a – that was just a difference in managerial <laughs> strategy. I mean, with that whole lineup, with Justin, with his brother, with, um, with Gaddis, with um, – uh, McCann at that point in time earlier on. I mean, they were just they were a lineup that went up and they were kind of like a, a pre-Houston Astros. They went up and every batter tried to hit the ball out of the park every time they were up to bat. And so I think yeah. that kind of affected 
you know, that was kind of the uh, the ducks in the pond, ducks on the pond uh, analogy you made with with Rizzo and Bryant. Mm-hmm. Why have Justin Upton get on first base and risk getting caught stealing if Evan Gass is up there and has a chance to hit a two-run home run behind them? You know what I mean? So I think that maybe played into why we saw him sort of become more of an, a uh, power-specific player. And now that he's out of that situation, we see him going back to that um, 2020 potential guy. Or I mean, at this point, he's going to blow well past 2020 at this pace. But um, we see him being that sort of dual-threat uh type of hitter again. Yeah. Uh, I think, I also sort of think the, uh, the, not the freewheeling attitude of San Diego, but they're sort of in this like mindset where they brought in all these players and they just want them to, they're sort of taking the reins off and saying, you're great players, you know, go, go be that great player that we brought in. So mm-hmm. I think there's sort exactly. of a little, not a little pressure off him, but there's like, they're just letting Justin Upton play baseball the way he wants to um, mm-hmm. play baseball. And for me as a fantasy owner, that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I was very right. high on him coming into this season. I was very disappointed. I ended up with him in exactly zero leagues, so I was very disappointed by that. And obviously, the, he's proving me. He's proving why I was high on him, and yeah, much to my disappointment. Yeah, right. It's always disappointing when you when you're really <laughs> a fan of somebody. You don't you don't end up drafting anything. You're like, oh, I hope I hope I'm wrong. It's going to make me regret not drafting. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. sort of on the other side of the coin. Sure. Um, I guess not totally on the other side of the coin. But back to Arizona, a guy I've been watching, A.J. Pollock over here, uh, has been running cleanup a couple times behind Paul Goldschmidt. Um, And while he wasn't a 30, 40 base stealer in the past, he was not a cleanup hitter either. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right now he has 22 RBIs in 50 games. Um, I think in his only full season he's played really in Arizona was 2013. And he had 38 RBIs in 137 games. So, mm-hmm. AJ Pollock says, "Are you buying the AJ Pollock power revolution? Do you just think it's uh, having Goldschmidt in that lineup? He's getting more hit pitches to hit and more people to drive in. Um, what do you think?" Well, it's funny. <clears throat> Sorry about that. It's funny that you bring that up because i uh i was when you when you brought that subject when we were talking earlier about about tonight's podcast on the subjects i uh went and looked back to to keep an eye on Pollock, and sure enough he's only batting second tonight he only batted second today instead of cleanup they moved him back up to the two spot and actually had tomas back cleanup tonight but um you know so murphy's law of course yeah um, right the thing that i think about Pollock is there is a uh, – I'm not sure I buy in. And the reason I don't know if I buy in is because he is experiencing an insane increase in his home run fly ball rate so far this season. I mean, coming into this, coming into this year, his highest career home run fly ball was 9.5%. This year, he's at 13%. So he's seeing a significant jump in his home run fly ball, and that's despite playing his entire big league career in Arizona. So it's not like we can look and say, well, he shifted from Oakland to Arizona or some some comparable pitcher-to-hitter park uh, boost. The other thing that concerns me about Paul is that he's uh, hitting fly balls at the lowest rate of his career. I mean, he's he's hitting at 28.9%, um, and he's only ever had uh, 
generally he's somewhere in the 30 to 33 percent range. Still not great, but um, obviously better than hitting 28.9 percent fly balls. So he's hitting fewer fly balls, but he's easily on pace to blow past his career best in home runs. So I'm not entirely sure I buy into him. I think that we're going to see more of the um, we're going to see more of the sort of 20 to 30 steel guy that he was in the minors with maybe somewhere in the 10 to 12 home run range. Um, you know, obviously that means we're talking about six, roughly five to six more home runs the rest of the season with two-thirds of the season left. But like I said, I think that it's just a matter of that home run to fly ball bit. He's putting the ball on the ground more. He's lifting it less. And so I I just think that we're going to see a little bit of a power drop. I think that we're going to see him go more to that traditional um, speed type of guy that he's been. And, frankly, I just think that the Diamondbacks would prefer to see guys like Tomas and Trumbo and even when he returns Jake Lamb hit in that four and five spot than having A.J. Pollock (laughs) down there because putting Pollock down means trying to find somebody else to bat the top of the order somebody who may not be as skilled at the top of the order as Pollock should be. Well, it's interesting that you bring up uh, Mark Trumbo because he just got traded. <laughs> so Really? Yeah, Mark Trumbo just got traded to the Mariners um, for Wellington, huh. for Wellington Castillo and a few other pieces, which was sort of my next question. Um, obviously, Tomas is uh, sort of establishing himself and they have David Peralta, who's putting up some good RBI numbers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think now that they're they're sort of clearing the way for Tomas to, to take that cleanup slot, do you think Pollock is going to – well, obviously, if he, if Pollock isn't in the cleanup slot, his RBI is going to drop. I guess my question should mm-hmm. more be, do you think Pollock still has chance has chances to bat in that cleanup spot um, and maybe not get the home run total You know, he's on pace for, but still drive in – you know, forty, fifty, maybe even sixty runs this year. You think he? You think he has a legitimate shot at uh, sticking in the heart of that lineup as opposed to the top of it? You know, I I I actually think that this move has more of an impact for guys like um, guys like Lamb and guys like Tomas because I think that what this does is it opens up a path for them to fit both Lamb and Tomas in the everyday lineup. Um, Lamb has proven to be the superior uh, defensive player at third base, not to mention he's got the platoon advantage of being a left-handed bat. So I think what this does is this opens up a path to allow Lamb to be the everyday third baseman, to play Tomas in a corner outfield spot every day, and now they're able to play some combination of, um, of Tomas, uh, Pollock and either David Peralta or Ender Inciarte every day, um, and possibly having some kind of, maybe some kind of platoon situation where uh, Tomas Inciarte and um, and Peralta rotate based off a lefty or righty matchup. But I think that what this does is I think they really want Tomas to stick. I think they really want Lamb to stick. And frankly, now that Trumbo's gone, I know that they had batted Trumbo in the two spot for a few um, on a few occasions this year. Who else bats in the two spot at this point? I mean, Enciarte is 
right now he's their their prime leadoff batter. You know, Tomas isn't a two hitter. Lamb isn't a two hitter. Uh, I I don't think David Peralta's a two hitter. Clearly, they're not going to bat the catcher there. They're not going to bat Goldschmidt there. So I I think this kind of cements Pollock in that two spot. Yeah, I think it does too. Um, as well as he's hit this season, they just don't have another guy. And obviously, too, the two better doesn't have to be a, sort of a speed guy. Um, but they don't have exactly. that guy who can, who can sort of turn, who can go from first to third on a, you know, a mm-hmm. single or, or score from first on a double down the line. Um, exactly. So I think he's probably going to stick there. I think his run number, obviously, his run total should go up because Tomas looks to really have figured out. Um, Pitching, like an out of yes. hit it. Uh, and they haven't, you know, led him to the slaughter so much as a third baseman where he's not very good defensively. Um, <laughs> no, not at all. And that's, that's being nice about it. Lamb was really good before he got hurt. Um, and it just was a crowded, it was a crowded situation in Arizona with Trumbo there because he's not great defensively, but he's a power hitter. He can't play third either. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it makes sense for them to move somebody. Um, and, you know, if you think is Tomas is a better version of Trumbo, you can see why they would trade him. Um, but I think this does. Yeah, I think that that's actually a really good analogy. I think Tomas may be just as bad defensively, but I think that he may be a, a I, I, well, I shouldn't say may. I think he is a better hitter than Trumbo. He's a more complete hitter than Trumbo would be. Um, so, and I mean, the, the issue in Arizona is not that they don't have a gluttony of, of outfield type, corner outfielders or that they don't have a gluttony of power. It's that um, they they just they need to sort of build for. It's funny to say they're sort of building for the future when they have so many young players. But I mean, Trumbo is is clearly not a long term answer for that team. They need to get guys like Liam and Tomas every day at bats because those are the guys who are going to be mainstays for the years to come. Yeah. Now, if they could only figure out their middle infield situation, everybody yes. would be happy. Uh, because <laughs> yeah. early on trying to figure out who was going to play third, who was playing left, who was playing right, who was playing short, and who was mm-hmm. playing second. Basically, who was playing every position besides center field and first base was of course, terrifying to us fantasy <laughs> people who had stock on the team, and I was just I got off that boat fast. Like I can't deal yeah. with this. I can't deal with watching Aaron Hill play third, then second, then pinch hit, <laughs> then not play, then not play, then pinch hit, then second, then third. Like, it's too mm-hmm. much. Um, so... Mm-hmm. I think uh, AJ Pollock in line for a really good season. Um, not the he's not going to be the power hitter. He sort of no, seems to be so far. He's not going to be. I I uh, I would be pleasantly surprised if I owned him if he becomes a fifteen to twenty home run guy. But I think we're looking, like I said, more in maybe the twelve, maybe fifteen's the top of the upside in terms of power. But I think we see a boost in his runs, a drop off in his RBIs, and a boost in his steals as a result of sort of being cemented in the two spot now. Yeah, I definitely think they're going to utilize his legs a lot more than uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. than his power bat, um, so to speak. But sure. It's been a very interesting uh, season for him because I, you know, coming into the season, I thought he'd be, you know, sort of a third, fringy third, probably fourth outfielder in a five-team outfield league, but he's made his case to be a, a number two guy after he, mm-hmm. some, he had a, like a big money bat in there. So uh pleasant surprise for all you AJ Pollock owners out there. I am not one of them, so I'm clearly <laughs> jealous. But I sort of have a, most of my leagues, I have a, I guess a cheaper version of AJ Pollock. 
uh, a more enigmatic version of AJ Pollock in Steven Souza. He ah, has the, yes. He has the three true outcomes. The strikeouts are impressive from him. But he also has 10 home runs and 10 stolen bases. Um, what do you just what do you make of Steven Souza? He, he, this last week, I think he hit three home runs and three at bats over three games. <laughs> and the other times, I think he struck out most of the time. And then I'll have one game where I'll go three for four, three RBIs, a home run, a steal, and he just looks he looks like Mike Trout. But in the other two games, he looks like, I don't know, um, Adam Dunn. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> I am, quite frankly, I'm a huge fan of Steven Souza's. Um, I was very high on him. I thought that he was going to be a legitimate uh, 2020 kind of player. In fact, I probably was only slightly slightly less optimistic on him than I was on Jock Peterson coming into the season, which, by the way, I own both Peterson and Souza in one particular league. So That's, um, that's been pretty interesting for you. So, I'm yeah, it's it's a, a team of Adam Dunn's, but, you know, it's also an on-base league. So the three true outcomes is far less damaging than it is in a traditional average league where you don't get credit yeah. for the walks. But... Um, you know, the thing with Souza, I really like him. The one thing that really concerns me about him so far this year, now he's always been a high strikeout guy. He's been a guy who, even going back to the minor leagues, was a 25 to 27% strikeout rate. His strikeout rate so far this year is 37%. He's striking out more frequently than one out of every three at-bats. That is very alarming in that you know it's it's tough to maintain a good average it's tough to maintain a good on base percentage um you know and it runs the risk of of cutting into rbis because at least when you're putting the ball in play you have the chance for a ball to squeeze through the hole you have a chance to pop a sack uh, a uh, sack fly out to the opposite field etc cetera, etc cetera. if you're striking out you're committing an unproductive out you're not helping the team at all now <clears throat> The other thing that really concerns me about Souza is his home run to fly ball rate is so unbelievably unsustainable at this point. <laughs> I mean, he is – now, granted, he's hitting line drives about 22% of the time. That's a pretty good rate. That's, the more line drives you're hitting, the more times you're hitting the ball hard, you're hitting the ball into the gap. You, know, you can build off of that. But he's hitting the ball on the ground almost 50% of the time. He's lifting the ball less than 30% or just over 30% of the time. He has a 34.5% home run to fly ball rate. One out of every three fly balls he's hitting is a home run. What, you're that telling me is... that's not sustainable? You're telling me I didn't draft <laughs> Barry Bonds? Well, I mean, I mean, I, I, I would like to live in a world with unicorns and, and lollipops <laughs> and pixie dust too, but the fact of the matter is, <laughs> to, to, to put it... Uh, to put it bluntly, there's just no way, especially in his home ballpark. I mean, yeah. it would be one thing if we were talking about, say, a left-handed hitter in Yankee Stadium with a 34.5% home run fly ball rate. He's in a pitcher's park there in Tropicana. Um, I, I just I don't think that it's a sustainable rate. I just don't see him hitting fly ball, hitting home runs that frequently. Now, the uh, the counterpoint to that is... The type of hitter that Souza is, more of those line drives may turn into fly balls as we go on. So that home run to fly ball rate may drop, 
but he also may start hitting fly balls more frequently. So it may balance yeah. itself out in the long run and still lead to um, a minimal, if any, drop-off in terms of his home run rates. So that's kind of the, the, the thing to keep in mind is does he keep – does he start lifting the ball more or not? If he starts lifting the ball more, I think he might be able to maintain his home run pace. If he keeps hitting the ball mainly either on line drives or on the ground, there's just no way that I see him, like I said, turning one out of every three fly balls into a home run. Yeah, that uh, I didn't know it was that stark of a uh, home run fly ball rate. Now, but... Now, with that being said, if if I'm if I know someone in my league who is not aware of that statistic, I'm trying to sell as high as I can on Sousa for for that very reason. And in fact, I know I mentioned earlier I own both Jock Peterson and Sousa in one league. For that exact same reason, I'm trying my best to sell high on Jock Peterson because he too has an unbelievably unsustainable home run fly ball rate. I think his is actually even higher than Sousa's. Um, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm going to actually look it up while I'm talking, but I think, if I'm not mistaken, Peterson is somewhere in like the 36% home run fly ball rate. So he's even he's turning even more of his fly balls into home runs than Souza. So, I'm sorry, 33.3 is, is Jock. So exactly one out of every three fly balls he's turning into a home run in Dodger Stadium. So, yeah. yeah. Guys like Souza, guys like Peterson, I love them. If I'm in a dynasty league, there's absolutely no way I'm trading either of them unless I'm overwhelmed. But in a redraft league or a shallow keeper league, maybe two to three keepers per team, I'm getting the best possible return I can on them now before those home run fly ball rates drop and we see those guys go into a bit of a slump. Yeah, um, I think the the home run thing with Souza is interesting simply because when he does hit those, those home runs are rockets. Like he is not, you know, squeezing these over the fence most of the time. He is launching. Same thing with Peterson. These guys. They, they're literally the same player. It, it's they are, funny because they're, they're, it's crazy. I think I saw a statistic here yesterday after, after Jock's uh, two more monster shots yesterday. He has, I think, he is second in baseball behind just uh, Giancarlo Stanton. He has one fewer home run of 450-plus feet than Stanton does. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're no doubters. There's, there's no, uh, no denying that. They are cr- absolutely crushing the ball. I, just, I, I worry when I see guys, especially in pitchers' parks, with home run fly ball rates that high, it, it shoots red flags up to me that those rates are just, you know, they're either going to be those guys that kill you in average and you trade off average for home runs, or they're eventually going to see those rates plummet and you're going to see those home runs start to drop in terms of pace. Yeah. The only thing that I I, uh, I think we're sort of underselling Souza on is, is that base stealing ability. Oh um, yes, absolutely. I I think I said he had ten earlier. I think he only has seven or eight. Yeah, I I, it is seven exactly. But I mean, but, he's he he is a guy who's who's got that ability, and and you know I know that the the subject never involved Jock, but but the two of them both are like I said, they're the same player. They're both certainly capable of twenty twenty or thirty twenty seasons. Um, I think Sousa's base stealing, and again, it's Tampa Bay. Um, you know. I have no reason to believe that that 
he's going to see any sort of drop-off in his steals. Now, the one thing I will say is um, I'm hopeful that now that he's sort of getting back into the swing of things after missing a few days with a wrist injury, that Sousa moves up in the lineup. Um, you know, he's since he returned the last few games, he's been batting, I think, sixth. I think last night he maybe batted, moved up to fifth. I'd like to see him, if he can get back up, say, in the two-hole, or if he can even get to the cleanup spot behind Longoria, I would definitely feel a lot better about him moving forward than I do if he's going to bat in the sixth spot most nights. Yeah. Uh, six is probably not where most fantasy owners want to see him. Exactly. Uh, but that, I think the steals are going to keep him relevant, even if that, that mm-hmm. power sort of does, mm-hmm. and probably should drop off. Um, so maybe if, those, if he's not cranking out those home runs, hopefully he can raise that average a little bit and get on base. Sure, sure. To make some you know plays with his legs as opposed to just launching balls. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been very, very interesting watching him just sort of try to crank everything <laughs> out of the park. Yeah, exactly. Same, same thing with Peterson, too. But Peterson's done it at a much seemingly more consistent basis, but obviously his rates are unsustainable as well. He hasn't stolen as many bases as I thought he would for a guy who sort of had that 30-30, uh label attached to him when he was in AAA last year. Yes, he has. It's Well, what's been more concerning to me is not necessarily been that his speed has been down. It's that he's been caught stealing more than 50% of the time. He's He's, he's been, uh, he's stolen just two bases, but he's been caught stealing four times. Um, that's a bit concerning. Um, you wonder if maybe he's just not, whether it's just maybe not getting a good jump, just kind of being sort of jittery, being at the big league level, or if um, his reads just aren't very good. And, uh, you know, if it's if it's if it's a case of reads not being very good, you know, that's something that can be taught. That's something you can learn, and especially with Davey Lopes as a first base coach, that's something that he should figure out pretty soon. Davey's one of the, the all-time great, one of the best in the game as far as first base coaches go. So I think that Jock's – I think his base stealing is going to improve. Um, I just uh, – I wish I had an explanation for why he's – um, not just stolen so few bases, but been so unsuccessful in stealing bases. Yeah, because <clears throat> I definitely remember hearing all about Jack Peterson last year. Towards you know, mm-hmm. towards the end of summer, it's this this guy who just either launches a ball or gets on base and steals second right away, and uh, it's going to be. He was a, a thirty. Th- he was a thirty thirty player last year at AAA. He was a thirty so, thirty player. It uh, it should be interesting to see if that steals uh, sort of. You know, come at, come back to him. Uh, mm-hmm. I hope so, and I think it probably will because a guy who can steal bases like that in Triple A, it's not like he was stealing thirty bases in High A, and then mm-hmm. the rest of his career only stole five or ten. Like he he could do it against most of the uh, the elite pitchers. Maybe he's just I don't know. He's just in love with the long ball. When he's uh, trying to steal, he's not as into it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, God, it's just interesting watching those two hit. And seeing yeah. like when is when is this other shoe going to drop? And um, I think uh, what you said about Sousa is interesting about trying to you know sell him before the power drops off. Um, I think if he needs steals, it might be worth trying to hold on to him more than sort of pawn him sure. off. Yeah, and, and like I said, if, if I own either guy in a dynasty league, I'm not touching them unless I get overwhelmed. I'm 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 hanging on to the both of them to to the death unless I get yeah. absolutely overwhelmed with an offer. 
Yeah, they're both. Well, Peterson, I think, is only 22. He's a little younger than Sousa, but still, those guys are yes. young. They're going to produce. Um, exactly. Which leads us on to our next topic and sort of, you know, everyone's favorite topic, prospect talk. Um, and all of a sudden yesterday, I find out Joey Gallo's coming up to the majors. And uh, lo and behold, he is blasting Jeff Samarja, who might not be a good pitcher. Uh, um, that could be a discussion for another time, whether Samarja was a, sort of a flu class season or what. But we one thing is very clear, and that is that Joey Gallo can hit a baseball very, very far. Yeah, I do not need to be reminded. I had uh, just to to kind of uh, preface, like I said, I often rant on Twitter about how I mismanage my team. In one particular league, I dropped Michael Franco to pick up Joey Gallo. I then proceeded to leave Gallo on the bench specifically because it was his first game up and he was facing what I thought was a good pitcher, at least what I thought, Jeff Samarja. Um, not to mention that I had um, left Shinsu Chu on my bench uh, in that same league because Ryan Zimmerman had a doubleheader scheduled. Well, Ryan Zimmerman went 0 for 3 and did not play the second game of the doubleheader, while Chu hit a home run on my bench. Michael Franco hit a home run on waivers, and we all know what Joey Gallo did last night. Yeah. So um, I was a little bit on fantasy baseball tilt last night. But that's <laughs> to get back to the main subject, which is Gallo. Um, you know, the, the, I caveat anything I say about Gallo with this. The, John Daniels, the, the GM for the Rangers, insists that this is a temporary move, that once Adrian Beltre comes back, Gallo's going back to triple Or I shouldn't say going back. He's going down to AAA. He hasn't played a game at AAA yet. So... They insist that once Beltre is back, which they insist is going to be within two to three weeks, that um, that Gallo is going to AAA. Now, I kind of have a feeling that Gallo may be able to find a way to play his way into staying at the big league uh, club. But, um, you know, if he's going to hit the ball the way he did last night, he's worth hanging on to or grabbing even for just a couple of weeks. Um, there's no doubt that this kid has insane power. There's no doubt that he um, can hit the ball very far. The question is going to be, and and in the league I picked Gallo up, despite the fact that he had the game he did last night, I still left him on my bench today because it was one thing to hit the ball like that off of a right-hander, off of Samarja, as, as good as we all believed Samarja would, would be. It's another thing now, tonight, it's going to be important to see how he handles a tough lefty in Chris Sale. If he goes out tonight, shows good plate discipline, is able to, to show a good good eye at the plate, um, is able to make good contact on the ball, even if he's not getting hits, if he's hitting, you know, impressive outs, um, you know that might that might suggest that that he's he's ready. But I mean, if he goes out and just looks completely outmatched against Chris Sale, which to be fair. A lot of left-handed hitters have, that have been in the big leagues for a while look outmatched against Chris yeah. Sale. But um, that's going to be the big thing. If he can go up there and show that he can hit left-handers, that's going to go a long way towards him staying up at the big league level. So I'm, I'm keeping a very close eye on how he, how he does tonight. I'm not writing him off just because he has a bad night tonight, but if he has a good night tonight, 
that's really bumping him up in value to me because that shows that he can hit a tough lefty at the big league level. Yeah. Uh, I don't think having to face Chris Sale in your second major league start <laughs> is a fate I'd wish on anybody. Um, well, I but, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have, uh, have wished the fate of facing what, like I said, what everybody thought would be a tough righty in Jeff Samarja in your first game um, would be very fair, but he proved me wrong at least in going out yeah. and having a coming coming a triple short of the cycle in his first game. So, um, which by the way, I was I was even though he was on my bench and it was driving me insane, I was rooting for him because um, a, a stat track I I was watching last night. If he had hit for the cycle, it would have been the first time ever that in baseball history that a, a batter hit for the cycle in his first big league game. So, oh, so I had my man. fingers crossed for him, but um, he just missed out. But, yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm not discounting him. I'm not discrediting him if he has a bad night tonight, but I'm putting a lot more value in him if he has a good game tonight. Yeah, I think it should be interesting to see what they do with him once Beltre comes back. Because Beltre, obviously, is a much better defensive third base. Mm-hmm. And they have Prince Fielder sort of in that. DH mode. I know they have Mitch Moreland, um, who's played ba- backup role before, so maybe they bump uh, Gallo over to first. Um, or well, play here's, an, DH here's an interesting development that I um, that I just saw today, like within the last couple of hours. It turns out that Chu has a sprained left pinky finger that um, he's going to attempt to play through, but if he can't play through it. The other option is to put a pin in it, which will keep him out for a month. I could see the Rangers maybe getting creative if Chu has to do that, putting Moreland into a corner outfield spot, um, maybe moving either Gallo or Beltre to first base, letting the other play third base and making Fielder the DH, and that way getting all of their bats in the lineup. That might be an interesting situation to watch in the next couple of weeks if Chu can't play through this pinky issue. I could even see them putting Gallo in last. And letting I him could sort see of, that as well, absolutely. Sort of just lumber around out there because he's pretty – he didn't look like a – obviously he's a can really jack the ball, but he's not like a Prince Fielder type or like a, no, a really big guy. He's pretty lean for somebody his size. So I can see him holding his own um, – in the outfield, sort of like what they did with what the Brewers did with Ryan Braun, who was originally, I think, yeah, a third and, baseman. And, and, and it's interesting you bring up that point too, because that was one of the interesting developments in the, the in spring training this year was who are the Rangers going to play in left field? I mean, they experimented with Jake Smolinski, they experimented with Ryan Ludwig. There's clearly a a, a hole there. In, in in the outfield for the Rangers. Uh, I mean, they've been trying to mix and match for some time now. Maybe that is a solution. If he proves he can he can hit and proves he can hit lefties in the big leagues, they may not be able to avoid keeping his bat up, and they may need to consider the idea of either moving him or Moreland to left field and playing the other one at first base every day. Yeah, uh, I think that's going to be pretty... Pretty fun to watch them for the next two weeks, regardless of where they mm-hmm. play them or where they play them. Um, and this is all assuming, of course, that Beltre is back in two weeks. Who knows what kind of well, um, relapse or, or uh, setback he may suffer that, that maybe keeps him out longer as well. Yeah, I, I saw someone that they said he wasn't going to pick up a bat for two weeks. 
so mm-hmm. I assume he'll probably need a third week of a rehab game or two or a simulated game just to get some pitches mm-hmm. to sort of get his timing back. Um, sure. And the way this season has gone with injuries, um, nobody has really been like, oh, he's, we know he's going to be out two weeks. Uh, on June 15th, he will be back. I don't think I've, I can recall a single person who came back on time. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's an injury sure. play year. So if you Joey Gallo is a nice fallback plan for the Rangers to have um, sure, for their, sure. for their uh, injury problems. An interesting storyline, I think, that goes along with this. It's not really incredibly fantasy relevant, but uh, all these super third baseman prospects all used to play on teams with Bryce Harper, uh, both Chris mm-hmm, Bryant mm-hmm. and Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo like grew up with um, with Bryce Harper, which is pretty interesting. Yes, yes and there's three of the three of the best uh, power hitting guys under like 23 right now, which is pretty. Bryce Harper's power is so uh, just overwhelming right now. It's it's you know overflowing onto other guys, which is pretty pretty funny. But <laughs> yeah. yes, right. it's been it's it's been um, quite amazing to see him sort of maybe beginning that transition into the uh, MVP candidate that everybody kind of unfairly thought he would be at this point, Um, you know, because of the fact that he and uh, Trout came up at about the same time. Um, And there were obviously similar expectations for both. So, um, you know, the one thing, it's funny, I know this is kind of a tangent, but one quick thing that does concern me, I, I I, by the way, I'm in love with Fangraphs. If you don't go to Fangraphs and use Fangraphs as part of your fantasy baseball strategy, you're just asking to lose. Um, I just pulled up Fangraphs on Bryce Harper since we were talking about him a little bit. Yeah. And as much as I, um, well, as a Phillies fan, as much as I love to hate him, but in general, as much as I want to be excited about Harper's season and what the potential is, Here's one thing to keep in mind. We talked about with Souza. We talked about with Peterson. Harper has never had a fly ball rate higher than 35% in his career. And he's never had a home run fly ball rate higher than 18% in his career. Do you know what his fly ball and home run fly ball rates are so far this year? He's got a 27%. (laughs) He's got a 43.8% fly ball rate. So he's hitting fly balls... Roughly 33 percent of the time, more frequently than he ever has before in his career, and he's got a home run fly ball rate of 34 percent. In other words, he's hitting more fly, exponentially more fly balls than ever before, and exponentially more of those fly balls are becoming home runs than ever before. Obviously, I'm not saying trade Bryce Harper for you know Ricky Nolasco. But if you can get somebody who's going to trade you Bryce Harper for Mike Trout or Bryce Harper for Stanton or Bryce Harper for Clayton Kershaw, I might, I, I'd probably consider it because I don't think that Harper's going to sustain the power rate that he's got so far. So it might be as, as crazy as it, is, as it is to think there's such a thing as a sell high on Bryce Harper, I think it might be a good time to sell high if you can get one of those stud names for him because I think all of them have more sustainable peripherals and more sustainable performance paces than Harper does right now. Yeah. Um, And you know what? Thinking that this may be the hottest Bryce Harper gets all season, there's not really a knock on Bryce Harper anyway because he's playing like 
out of his mind good. And even oh, if he takes, I, I, if he takes exactly. a step down, he's still playing fantastic. But if you could get, like you said, Mike Trout or, I mean, in another year of Kershaw was was being Kershaw or something like that. For, well, yeah, I mean, Kershaw is maybe not having the, the typical yeah. Kershaw year. But, you know, uh, the, the point being, I'm not. I certainly don't think Harper's going to be worthless, or or he's not going to return great value. I think he's going to still be a great player the rest of the year. I just think that it might be unrealistic for you to think that Harper's going to hit 50 plus home runs this year. It, 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 unless he somehow found a way to shrink um, Nationals Park, I I don't see him keeping up that home run to fly ball rate. Especially, I mean. You're talking about hitting a, 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 a fly ball over 40% of the time, and one out of every three of those fly balls is becoming a home run. I mean, yeah. that's, that's just insane. I mean, Harper's a, a good power hitter, but we're talking sort of historic um, home run number kind of pace at that with those peripherals, and I just don't think that he's going to be able to sustain those. Yeah, definitely. Uh, last thing I will say on Bryce Harper, and then we can sort of get out of here because it's been going for a little while. Um, sure. Well, Fangraphs is great. Don't forget to use so-called fantasy experts for all of your course, fantasy baseball. Of course, of course. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Bryce Harper's pretty amazing. Uh, some people were freaking out on Twitter as soon as his season wore past Mike Trout for the first time ever. So that was pretty interesting to see. And it's nice to sort of see him. I know there may not be an actual rivalry between the two of them, but it's sort of nice to for our viewing uh, pleasure and for our fancy baseball pleasure to see, you know, Bryce Harper sort of deliver on all that promise to to such a such a high level. Um, mm-hmm. So it should be yeah, fun. Yeah, no, I, uh, I I I completely agree. It's it's fun. Now, the one thing I will say, the only thing I wish it was uh, would make it even more fun is if uh, if Trout was was hitting at the same rates the Harper was, and they were sort of going shot for shot. That would be sort of the, I think, the, the not just the fantasy baseball, but the baseball fans' um, sort of dream scenario to see the two of them um, really go pace for pace with each other. Yeah, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire sort of thing. Exactly, exactly. That, hey, there's still time. They could still get red hot. Oh, the yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking about them like they're like they're in the, the twilight of their careers. I mean, these guys are still yes, they really, they 20, really 22, failed, 21, 20, 21, 22, 23. I mean, we have... Well, we, we've got quite a few years to enjoy the two of them. We've probably got 15 more years of this. But, I uh, certainly hope so. That would be fantastic. They, they have not, you know, given us a McGuire Sosa home run showdown. They're already failures in my mind. Uh, <laughs> but Dan, thank you for making time tonight. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, hit Dan up on Twitter. Hit me up on Twitter with all your fantasy baseball questions. Um, we'll be back next week talking more stuff. Spread the spread the word about the Home Run the Jewels Fantasy Baseball Podcast name. We've changed it from the so-called Fantasy Experts Fantasy Baseball Podcast because that's too many words for me to say. Um, <laughs> hopefully next week I'll have some nice outro music, and hopefully next week I can figure out this intro music because it never ever works for me. Oh, you had uh, problems with it again? Like this tonight was one of the worst ones. I, like I was in ten seconds of silence at the beginning because like the thing with the it was just pinwheeling waiting to start. I'm like. All right, I'm just, and as soon as I start talking, I swear to God, the music kicks in. It's like, <laughs> it's like that's the tripwire that gets it going. Um, one of these days. One of these one days. One of these days, it'll just start automatically, and I'll be happy. But, Dan, <laughs> thanks again for coming on. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, this has been the first edition of the Home Run the Jewels Fantasy Baseball Podcast. We will catch you next week. Make sure to find us on socalledfantasyexperts.com. 
and uh, we'll see you all later.